2: Education Foundation committed to helping more Mississippians obtain post-secondary credentials, college certificates and degrees that lead to employment. More information about Woodward Hines Education Foundation at woodwardhines.org.
3: Good morning. It's 8:30 on Friday, September 28th. I'm Karen
2: Brown and this is Mississippi
3: Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi is celebrating a new venture at the Nissan plant in Canton. We'll get the details.
0: I think it's a great day for the consumer. It's a great day for those that will have the opportunity to buy and own and have an emotional attachment to the new 2019 Nissan Altima. And now you know it's made in Canton, Mississippi.
3: Then find out why safety officials are pushing for more caution along railroad tracks and crossings. And we'll hear from a survivor celebrating recovery during this special awareness month. Plus, we'll learn how a program is educating young people and their parents on communicating about sex and bullying. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Nissan in Mississippi is officially launching the production of the new 2019 Altima. Employees and other dignitaries celebrated Thursday during a ceremony at the vehicle assembly plant in Canton. Officials with the Nissan Motor Company say it invested an additional $170 million at the plants in Mississippi and Tennessee. Governor Phil Bryant is proud of the new venture. During a brief podium address, he proclaimed a great next step for Mississippi moving forward from where it began
0: 15 years ago I sat very near the same location when this plant opened Mississippi was investing a little over 400 million dollars in tax incentives and direct incentives to this plant there were those in the legislature at the time and in government that said what a crazy idea you'll never get your return back on that investment well let me tell you Denny thank you for making that return and thank you for making me right because I said it's going to be a great investment. I was state auditor then. I said we're going to double our money. We're going to triple our money. Thank you Danny and Nissan for having over $300 million in annual and state local tax revenues. This plant generates $300 million a tax every year. Thank you for having $2.6 billion in disposable income for Mississippians because of this plant. Thank you for the creating over 25,000 jobs that are directly and indirectly created because of Nissan Canton. And to the Nissan Canton team, thank you. As the governor of the state of Mississippi, you make me proud. Danny, Phillip, guys, I can tell you, you've got the best workforce in America. I think the best workforce in the world right here at Nissan Canton. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for the job you did.
3: Governor Phil Bryant. Philip Calhoun is vice president of manufacturing at Nissan in Canton. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood, Mississippi has a strong workforce.
1: We're one of the best workforces uh, in the country. Our goal is to be one of the best workforces in the world. And this new Nissan Altima is going to catapult this plant into great things.
4: Can you talk about the significance statewide for this new model, but also just the production that happens here in Canton?
1: Well, this is actually big. Anytime you have a new model introduction or a new vehicle coming to the facility, I mean, it has a huge economic impact as far as bringing jobs to the state. And that's really what our goal is, is to produce great products that people want so that we really, really can grow the operation. And so hopefully this is just the start of something new going forward. And we just want to make sure that we have a great launch with this product, that the customers love it in the marketplace and will continue to produce top-quality vehicles in the world.
4: How soon will it be on the streets?
1: Uh, it'll be ready late, late uh, fall.
3: The sixth-generation sedan will only be produced at Nissan's Tennessee and Mississippi facilities. Calhoun says it's an honor.
1: No, it's, a, it's a great honor. It shows that Nissan trusts this workforce here in Canton, Mississippi, and it shows that we've been producing great products and they're entrusting us to continue building one of our most successful sedans.
3: Nissan's Nissan Canton's vice president of manufacturing, Philip Calhoun. In other news, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh faces a crucial vote today as a Senate panel decides whether to move his nomination onto the full Senate a day after he adamantly denied sexually assaulting Christine Blasey Ford, who insisted she's 100 percent certain he did. Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker weighs in. In a statement, he says, I watched today's hearing with an open mind. We saw Dr. Ford make a serious claim, and we saw Judge Kavanaugh strongly and effectively deny the charges made against him. We also cannot allow the political tactics of Senate Democrats to further delay this process, as they have sought to do since the beginning. It is time to move forward and for the Senate to vote. Coming up, find out why safety officials are pushing for more caution along railroad tracks and crossings. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi Operation Lifesaver is encouraging rail safety this week. Officials with the Federal Highway Administration say every year, 2,100 North Americans are killed or seriously injured when they engage in unsafe behavior around tracks and trains. Operation Lifesaver hopes to prevent what they call needless incidents, from happening. Kim Sloan is with Mississippi Operation Lifesaver. She tells us pedestrians and motorists often misjudge the speed at which a train is traveling and take a fatal chance.
2: Railroad um, incidences are very prevalent in Mississippi. Um, just because they don't always result in a fatality doesn't mean that there aren't serious injuries that are um, incurred. So when we look at the numbers, most of the numbers that um, people um, would pay attention to with statistics would be the fatalities. But um, we can have up to 50 incidences, you know, 80 incidences a year um, that involve both pedestrians that are trespassing as well as um, situations that would occur at Howard Rail Gray Crossing.
3: Trespassing where? Because rail lines run through private land?
2: Well, trespassing is any time that you go across railroad tracks or you walk up and down railroad tracks at an area that's not designated as a crossing. Um, a designated crossing would be where you would see the white railroad crossing crossbooks on. So any time that you're going across the tracks in any other area, it's considered trespassing and you can be cited for it.
3: How many fatalities have there been this year in Mississippi?
2: Well, the numbers that we have uh, that would probably be better to look at from the Federal Railroad Administration Our 2017 and last year we had 16 fatalities and nine of those fatalities were trespassers.
3: Is there an age group that's most likely to be injured or killed in a train accident?
2: We're spending a lot of time. Um, the demographics would be from 18 to 35 year old males. But here in Mississippi, when you look at the safety data from the FRA, the Federal Railroad Administration, it's interesting to see that a majority of the fatalities are actually people that are over 40, um, which is a group of people that's very difficult to get to because they're not going to be at a school where we can talk to them. They're not going to, you know, they may or may not be attending community safety days where we may have an information group set up. So, um. We're just trying to educate any way that we can, and when we do go out and give our message, which we do at no cost to the communities in the state of Mississippi, we always ask them to tell at least one other person. If we go talk to kids, we ask them to tell their parents, tell somebody else about railroad safety and that they should always look, listen, to live.
3: Kim, you're also focusing the campaign on photographers. Why is that?
2: That was one of the things that was recommended after um, a fatality that took place on a trestle bridge in Georgia a few years ago um, while they were filming a movie without any type of consent. So um, that's one of the issues that we're, we're trying to target. Not only that, but there's a wealth of photographers that pose a lot of their pictures along railroad tracks. And just because you haven't seen a train on those tracks in the last two or three months doesn't mean that that track is inactive and that a train could be coming through at any time. I mean, just a basic Google search for photos on track. You'd be amazed.
3: You have uh, some partnerships with law enforcement agencies. What's going on with that?
2: Well, we like to work in tandem with uh, local law enforcement to help spread our message to those in their communities um we've done a few community positive enforcement events that would be when we would go to a, a active crossing or that you know there's a lot of activity at that crossing based on what the police department has told us and we distribute literature asking people to always expect the train to read that literature in their spare time to set it on the you know um, on the break room table when they get to work so that they can share it with their coworkers. just in an effort to bring about awareness and to do something positive in the community. And most of the time, the police departments are on board.
3: You have events today and tomorrow to wrap up Rail Safety Week. How can people find out what may be going on in their area?
2: Well, they can actually visit our website, www.oli.org.
3: Kim Sloan is with the Mississippi Operation Lifesaver. Kim, thank you very much for being with us today.
2: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
3: Coming up, we'll hear from a survivor celebrating recovery during this Special Awareness Month. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
1: Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are celebrating their progress in overcoming issues with mental illness, drug addiction, and suicide risk, along with others nationwide. September is National Recovery Month and Suicide Prevention Month. Officials and advocates continued raising awareness and countering myths and stigma related to the diseases. Monica Klein is a mental health clinician who is working to heal her own depression and anxiety diagnosis. She tells us more.
4: I was very young, my early 20s, and I started having heart palpitations and just really feeling anxious and I thought maybe, you know, something was going on. I was having a heart attack until when I went to the doctor, I found out it was anxiety. And from there, things just kind of start going down. And as I started going through therapy, um, initially was able to trace it back to when I was 16, I had an abortion and I never dealt with it. And so I was pretty much it's like okay it's been done you have to deal with it move on like there's nothing you can really do and so I pretty much stuffed all that down and never dealt with those emotions and what ends up happening with emotions is they just overflow they don't go anywhere and they started to come up in the form of depression did you take medication when you were diagnosed I did and I and I'm still taking medication um, to this day
3: now you are a clinician tell us what you do for a living
4: I work at Mississippi State Hospital. Um, I'm a counselor there, so I just graduated from Mississippi College with my master's in uh, mental health counseling. Congratulations. Thank you. And definitely uh, going in this direction was prompted by my own experience. My first experience with therapy was pretty um, beneficial and it uncovered so many things. and so I was, I said that this is something that I want to do to, to help other people, and it's it's taken me a while to get here, but I finally, I finally got it. You
3: mentioned therapy. You mentioned medication. Mm-hmm. Is it a one size fits all in terms of treating someone for depression, or is it on an individualized basis?
4: In my opinion, it's on an individualized basis, um, and also in my opinion, is you can do therapy, but sometimes depending on what your symptoms are and what you're experiencing. Medication will just help with those symptoms until you learn different coping skills to to help with that. And then you can just take medication and you're taking medication, but you're not dealing with any of the uh, if there's a route to it because I believe we're holistic beings, and um especially with if there's any trauma and uh, things that a person has, has experienced, so being able to um, address some of those issues and things that are going on. Um, Is very beneficial. When something negative happens unexpectedly, Mm -hmm. are you better prepared to deal with it now? I
3: am. Absolutely. What would used to happen?
4: I would um, panic attacks were really, um, you know, I would get really uh, anxious about things and and there's something called a RAP. It's a wellness recovery action plan that um, that I have. And and what that does, it, it really prepares you to be able to take responsibility for your own mental health. And so it's kind of you learn your early warning signs, your triggers, or when things are going bad. And so I know that when it gets to the point where it's hard for me to make decisions, it kind of lets me know, okay, Monica, things are kind of starting to break down. So what do I need to do to take care of myself Do I need to take a mental health day from work or do I need to start saying no to some things? And so I definitely um, handle it a lot better and I don't get as deep. I would describe it like this. There was a time when I felt like I was like in a big deep hole, a deep pit, and that every time I would, as I was climbing my way out, when I would get to the top and put my hands out to climb up, like it felt like somebody or something would just come and you know, like step on my fingers and I would just fall all the way um, back down in it. And that's just kind of how I would describe how those um, that time in my life was. That's a good description. That sounds Mm -hmm. horrible. It it is horrible. It's not a great feeling.
3: What are some of the biggest uh, misconceptions about depression?
4: is that you could just get over it. People think that, oh, get over it or you know, snap out of it. And it's like you wouldn't tell a person with a broken leg, oh, just get up and walk. Or you wouldn't tell a person um, with any other diagnosis, uh, with a cancer diagnosis or something like that, oh, just get over it. Depression is an illness, just like anything that, you know, physical a physical manifestation type of illness. Um, it's just it's the brain. Things are going on in the brain. That's not, whether it's, you know, the level of serotonin or all that wonderful, miraculous stuff that we have going on in our brains, something is going on. And so you can't tell a person, oh, just get over it, because it's, it's just not that easy.
3: What do you do if you're a friend or a loved one of someone who suffers from depression? How can you best help the person?
4: I think for a person to be able to hear that they're not alone and that somebody else has gone through it or that what they're feeling isn't weird or, you know, something that they have to be ashamed of, it can maybe help them open up to be able to realize, to to have hope um, that they can get okay or they can get better or they don't have to just sit in it alone and suffer alone. So just the, I would say being able to let somebody know I've been there, done that, and this is what I've done or recommend um, them to, you know, maybe seek out some help or something somewhere. Monica
3: Klein is someone who has depression or had depression, as we mm-hmm. just heard <laughs> sort of a little of this, a little of that, but also a mental health clinician. You've taken the pain and you've turned it into something very positive. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming in.
4: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
3: You're listening to Mississippi Edition, the only daily radio news magazine that covers the whole state. Coming up, we'll learn how a program is educating young people and their parents on communicating about sex and bullying.
2: This is MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson and Ocean Springs, Get to College advisors help students and families plan and pay for college learn more at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi
3: Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi remains among the nation's leaders in the number of babies born to teenaged mothers. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, nearly 33 out of every 100,000 Mississippi births were to a mother between 15 and 19 years of age. A Jackson program hoping to reach into other parts of the state says one key to better choices is getting teens and parents talking to each other. Dana, Larkin is executive director of Mississippi nonprofit Growing Up
5: Knowing. She tells us how the program began. A social worker who worked her whole career at Catholic Charities in the adoption area. When she retired, she had seen all the um, the problem with teen pregnancies here in Mississippi. So she formed this nonprofit and put together a really great board, and then searched for a curriculum and found this uh, this curriculum for middle school children and their parents or grandparents and caregivers. And that's how it got started.
3: Are there any people who think middle school's too early to start?
5: No, this curriculum is Evidence-based, and what the the mission is, is to get parents and children talking together before the kids engage in the risky behavior. So we impart the correct information, and we create an environment where it's very safe for children and parents to talk together. What, uh, What is your service area? We are in Jackson, and with the eventual goal of going statewide, we have been at the Meridian Boys and Girls Club and at and in Batesville, so, so I, far.
3: you are going to after you 're not in the schools you're going to after school programs well, we have
5: two programs. The middle school program that i 've already mentioned is not in the schools because we want parents and grandparent or grandparents or caregivers, so we have to do it after school. We are impacting school kids because we're doing we 're partnering with the Boys and Girls Clubs and Jackson Youth for Christ and New Horizon Church and Wells Church and all these other after-school programs and faith institutions to to implement our program. There might
3: be parents who are nervous about talking to their children about sex, any aspect of that. How do you reach out to those parents who don't want to come with their child?
5: We actually don't do the recruiting because we work, the community partner that we we implement the program, they do the recruiting. And it is very hard to get families there the first time. It's a four-night session we and we offer we offer incentives we offer a gift card to every family that comes to all four sessions but once they're hooked in the first time they want to come back and get this so it's just it is scary and everything else i know that my own children have have children but i i wish that i had had this these words and this environment to talk to them about sex because it is the correct words and the correct skills, and we're reinforcing their anti-bullying um, you know, strategies for that. It's not just about sex and all, and all the things that are included in that, but it really is about building communication skills and building resistance to bullying, peer bullying and abusers. And we have another program that started because of when we were recruiting at one of our after-school partners, Two parents of elementary age children shot their hands up and said, wait, my children are vulnerable. We need help. So we developed this program in cooperation with a professor at University of Southern Mississippi, and it's called My Body, My Boundaries. It's a one-hour, one-time program, and it teaches children and their parents. They ha- Children have to bring a parent or grandparent with them or other concerned adult with them. And we teach children the correct names of their body parts, how to say no, what a boundary is, um, what to do if they get into trouble, we tell them to be rad to run away, ask an adult for help, and describe what happened and the, and we also are pushing a cultural change to teach the children that they 're the boss of their own body because we don 't want to, we as parents don 't want to insist that they kiss their grandma, mm-hmm. and then another adult might come out and they can 't distinguish between that adult or not that adult. And as a grandmother, it is hard when my, when my granddaughter says, I don't feel like hugging you today, Nama. But you know I understand that that's her right, and, her, you know, and she has to learn to protect her own body and self-advocate. What
3: should parents know about if you're in the Jackson area and you want to get involved, you want to bring your child, you want to set up that dialogue because you don't <laughs> want to do it at home by yourself because you're just too uncomfortable? What do you do? What's the next step?
5: Our program encourages that this is just a start and to continue the conversation at home. But we do not charge our community partners to bring the programs in. So if you are interested in bringing a program to your scout troop, to your house of worship, to your school, whatever, please go to our website, growingupknowing.org, and send us an email. And we are so happy to accommodate you and and we need more partners. We want to get out there. So, um, yeah, so we are really looking for partners and we'll even do it in your living room if you want to gather five to ten families there.
3: I want to end with this because this always comes up when we're talking about sex education. There are those who will say by talking to your child about sex or safe behavior that you're giving them permission to become sexually active.
5: Research has shown that is not true and we, from I've been with this organization for four years now, and through all my experience, these children know. And these children have a lot of wrong, incorrect information. So what we're doing is giving them correct information and teaching the children and their parents to talk together so that the children will go to the parents before they engage in risky behavior. We talk about the consequences of risky behavior. We talk about what consent really means and what what abstinence really means. We have an exercise in that. And we give plenty of opportunity for the parents to instill their own values and expectations with their children. So what it does promote is safe sex if they are engaging. It doesn't promote in more sex. It also gets them to think about all the consequences and all the information we've given them before they engage. What we're trying to do also is... You know how you get uh, the same message every time you sit down on an airplane, the the safety thing? So we want them to run all the correct information in their head before they engage in, in sex, all the consequences of what might could happen in these risky behaviors. Dana Larkin is the executive director of Growing Up Knowing. Dana, thank you
3: so much for coming in. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Proceeds from this weekend's WellFest activities in Jackson will benefit the Growing Up Knowing program. Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardner. At 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.